Hello, everyone. Bill Wilson, senior editor of Supermarket News, with another edition of SN Off the Shelf. And today with me, I have Eric Rutz. He's a senior scholar at the International Center for Law and Economics, and he also co-authored a white paper titled "Food Retail Competition, Antitrust Law, and the Kroger Albertsons Merger." So, Eric, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, thank you. It's great to be here. So I'm just going to be real general here with my first question. I mean, your your white paper is basically saying, you know what, they've done everything right to get this merger passed. Do you want to comment on that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I, to me, as an economist, I think it's a really interesting merger. Uh, anyone who's been following antitrust over the past few years knows that a lot of the focus has been on big tech. And so in some ways, uh, the Kroger-Albertsons merger is a little bit of a breath of fresh air because uh, it's a, I think it's an important merger uh, in a big uh, sector of the U.S. economy uh, that doesn't involve uh, big tech, at least for the most part. Uh, and what's interesting, I think, also from, from an economic standpoint is this is looking more and more like it is going to be one of the, the first grocery store mergers or supermarket mergers that's going to be challenged uh, probably in court uh, by the Federal Trade Commission uh, ever since the late 1980s uh, with the, the Lucky Acquisition. Uh, because since then, all just about every supermarket merger in, in traditional supermarkets uh, has um, it has, has gone through that the Federal Trade Commission has allowed that merger to go through, usually with some sort of divestiture where the merging parties sell off their stores to try to resolve any sort of competitive concerns in different geographic areas. Um, and so what's really interesting about this one right now is that the Federal Trade Commission has dropped some really big hints that uh, that they will challenge this merger and um, the merging parties, uh, particularly uh, Kroger CEO, uh, has indicated that they are willing to fight this in court. So there's a very good chance that this case could end up in court. And that would be the first time that something like that has happened in, in this type of supermarket uh, merger um, since the late 1980s. So, I mean, you mentioned the divestiture, which, you know, they're selling off a bunch of stores to CNS Wholesale Grocers. And um, that's a very big part of this merger being successful. Why then do you think the FTC is going to challenge this in court and go that far? Uh, well, one is that the, the FTC uh, has the, uh, an attitude that big is bad. And uh, it's very hard to get around the fact that this is a very big merger, depending on how you calculate it. Uh, the merge company would be any, anywhere from the third to the sixth largest um, supermarket or food and uh, grocery retailer uh, in the country. And we could get into that why that may not be such a big deal. But so, but the bottom line is the Federal Trade Commission sees that as being big and big is bad. Um, <clears throat> the other thing, too, is I think that the Federal Trade Commission um, uh, has been a little bit um, uh, affected by the Safeway Albertsons merger, where that involved a divestiture to uh, Haggins. And that has uh, anyone who's in the supermarket industry knows the story of that, that that was more or less considered a disaster. And so the Federal Trade Commission 
uh, doesn't like this merger because it's big. And they have indicated that they don't think that any sort of divestiture can solve the problems that they think there are with this merger. And so they, again, they haven't said anything explicitly, but they, they've dropped some really strong hints that they really intend to dig in and try to just block this outright. So what do you say about Walmart then? They are the king of grocery. They have over 3,000 plus stores. Uh, why is the FTC turning away from that when, when I mean, you said big, they don't like big. Well, Walmart is enormous. Well, that's that's certainly one issue. Um, you know, and I think it's it's a, it, the obvious answer to that is is that Walmart's not merging with anyone, uh, so there's nothing for them to block. Um, the other thing too is that Walmart, um, you know, does a lot more than just uh, food and groceries. Um, but you know, then again, I, I live in Portland where we have uh, Fred Meyer stores owned by Kroger and. Uh, Fred Meyer stores are are kind of like slightly smaller versions of Walmart because you could get food, groceries, uh, lawnmowers. Uh, and so, I mean, the, the Fred Meyer stores are super centers, much like a Walmart is a super center. But again, I think the main reason why the FTC uh, would be challenging this and not paying attention to Walmart right now is because Walmart hasn't proposed a merger. And, and I think that's just um, that's just the way that's just the way it is. Um, so we talked to a former FTC policy director, David Balto, about about this, about the merger, basically. And and he thinks it's going to have a difficult time getting approval. Um, let me just talk about a couple of things here. He, he thinks that the divestiture would have been would have gone over better if it was, you know, uh, sold off to someone like Ajo Deles or, or another ma- major supermarket chain that that's what they do. Um, do you think that really matters um, that they're going over and, and the, whoever they choose as their divestiture partner? Um, it could, uh, but you know, recall Haggins was also um, you know a, a retail grocer. Uh, I think there's some things about CNS that uh, put in in a unique situation that might be favorable. You know, my understanding is that. Um, you know, as you know, CNS are, are wholesalers, uh, and for a while, a long time, uh, Foodline was one of their major customers. And then, uh, if I recall correctly, Kroger bought uh, Foodline, and so CNS, because a lot of say a lot of uh, Kroger operations are vertically integrated, CNS lost uh, a lot of that Foodline work, and so CNS for a while has been looking to get into retail as a way to bolster its wholesale operations. And so um, my guess, and again, I have no inside information, but my guess is that CNS has seen this as a great opportunity for them to find an outlet for their wholesale operations into retail. Um, they seem to be sufficiently capitalized. That was a big issue with Hagen was that they um, they were going into markets that they hadn't traditionally gone into before, that they weren't very well capitalized and it seems that cns seems to be in a much better situation now you may you mentioned a-hole delahays uh i think one of the issues that the ftc could conceivably have with that is that they have also um when a-hole delahays when they were um uh, combining uh that uh race and issue with the ftc and that resulted in 
spinoffs. That was, that was an example of one of those mergers that the FTC raised an eyebrow. Uh, the parties came up with a divestiture plan, and then they divested the stores. And uh, and it's telling that you have David Balto, um, who is now pointing to that as a success, as, as being a potential acquirer of of the Kroger Albertson stores. What's interesting is I, I I read an article by David Balto that he wrote in the early 2000s, and um, it, it to me it was is fascinating because it was in many ways very prescient because uh, he identified two things he identified the growth of um, uh, wholesale clubs as being an issue that down the road they said you know these wholesale clubs. They, you know, they're still kind of new, but they're starting to grow. They're starting to eat into food and grocery margins at supermarkets. Um, you know, they could be a competitive concern down the road. And again, he wrote this in 2000. And, uh, you know, I remember I lived in L.A. in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that's when you had these uh, uh, companies like uh, Webvan and Home Grocer oper- operating and, he said, gee, you know, e-commerce can also be, you know, a competitive issue down the road. Too early now in 2000, 2001, but, you know, here we are now, 20, 21 years later. And uh, I, we've argued in our paper that these warehouse clubs have now become um, key competitors to um, supermarkets. And e-commerce in some ways has too. Uh, I think e-commerce is going to be a, a big question. It's going to come up in uh, if this this case gets litigated, uh, because I don't think a lot of people have a good idea of how to deal with e-commerce. I, I think the warehouse clubs. Um, there's a lot of information you can you can. I think you can make a lot of really good arguments why warehouse clubs uh, should be considered the relevant market. Why warehouse clubs should be considered to be imposing competitive pressure on supermarkets. Um, you could also conceivably argue the other side of that. That's going to be a factual issue that will be resolved in court. And, and to me, again, as an economist, that will be fascinating because this, if it gets litigated, this will be the first test of a theory of whether or not warehouse clubs should be considered the relevant market along with supermarkets. If you go on to the e-commerce side, there's so many facets of e-commerce that I think a lot of people haven't thought through uh, in terms of dealing with it in, in a merger space. Uh, you know, you've got the obvious e-commerce such as uh, Amazon. You know, I know in my household, there's a lot of regular household goods that we used to buy at the supermarket that we now buy uh, on Amazon. But then there's other parts of e-commerce that are kind of in a, in another world, right? You've got things like Instacart, where I use Instacart to purchase groceries from my traditional supermarket. I could buy Kroger groceries through Instacart. I can also buy Costco stuff through Instacart. Um, and and I think right now it's really hard to figure out how how the the court is going to deal with it. I think it's really going to have a big impact on what we what's known as the geographic market. And we could talk about that if you want, um, because I think what the e-commerce, the Instacart type services do is they will expand the geographic market, which means that you will have more competitors within a particular geography. 
So one of the other things that, that Balto points out is just the enormous profits that have been recorded, you know, over the last few years. And, and we all know that a big reason for those profits is inflation. Um, do you think that that has any, would it have any kind of play in, in this merger being allowed to go forward or not? Um, I think it will attract headlines that may play out in the uh, political arena. But, you know, when you get there in in court, uh, you know, the, the court's going to be looking at the evidence that's there. And, you know, despite the, the dollar amount of the profits, you know, food and grocery is still a traditionally fairly thin margin business. Uh, you know, if you if you if you ranked uh, U.S. companies by uh, revenues, by sales, you'd find a lot of retailers are, you know, in the top five or 10. Uh, but if you rank them by profits or, rev- or yeah, profits, you're going to find that um, that they're not in the top 10 anymore. They're closer to, you know, the, the middle of the pack, you know, the 50th to 100th uh, in terms of profits because those profit margins are so small. You know, and that's, What's what's curious to me is that if you look at uh, Federal Trade Commission Chair uh, Lena Khan's own writing, I think she wrote in 2017 uh, about um, different parts about merger analysis, and she talked about uh, supermarkets. And she said that uh, one of the reasons, according to her analysis, one of the reasons why you had such a merger wave of supermarkets uh, in the late 1990s was because of the growth of these club stores, warehouse clubs that were imposing this competitive pressure. And the only way, or one of the ways that these supermarkets can, could compete was by combining. And so it's, to me, it's really interesting that you have the FTC's own chair at one point writing that, uh, that these warehouse clubs do impose competitive pressure on supermarkets. There's also states attorney generals are threatening to bring this uh, merger to court. Do- I mean, do they have any, I mean, FTC is obviously the, you know, they are the big people. They're the big guy there. Do, do, those, does, does, do states threatening to take the merger to court carry any kind of weight? Uh, I think it, it it does because they can also file their, their own suits. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not exactly sure what the whole process is. Um, but, uh, you know, there have been mergers that have um, that have fallen apart. Um, based upon pressure from the states. Um, you know, my understanding was that the Cisco U.S. Foods merger, which is a wholesaler uh, merger, fell apart in part because of pressure from the states, as well as the FTC. Okay. Uh, so what's the timeline here, do you think? Uh, you know, they want to get this merger approved by the early part of 2024, However, if the FTC is going to challenge us in court, you have you know other states willing to challenge in court. How long do you think this can drag out? Well, it could drag out for a while. Uh, there's been uh, quite a bit of reporting. I, I think Supermarket News uh, reported too that the FTC has uh, indicated that if they do challenge this merger, it probably won't happen until sometime next year, you know, early next year. Um, and that's you know. That's just firing off the starting pistol, uh, because then you have a lot that's going to be going on after that. Uh, they've already dug up a lot of information because of the whole merger process where you have to submit information to the FTC. But there, if it does go to some sort of trial, there will be 
um, some sort of discovery. There may be depositions and they'll be scheduling out the trial itself. You know, the trial could be a couple weeks long. Then, um, you know, the judge could take uh, his or her time writing the decision. And uh, then whatever that decision is, it could be appealed. And, and so, I mean, you could be you could be looking at anywhere from, you know, if things were fast tracked. Right. It could happen within like the first half of next year uh, to it could be dragged out for for a few years. So Albertsons, Kroger, they continue to reassure everyone, you know what, it's not going to result in a rise in prices. We're not going to cut jobs. Based on your knowledge of mergers in the past, do you do you think that Albertsons and Kroger are on the up and up here and they're going to do their best to avoid the loss of jobs and, and rising food costs because of this merger? Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, I can't uh, I can't second guess. Uh, what they're going to do. I, I think that they have a, a keen interest in uh, staying in business, staying profitable. Uh, and uh, it, it, pricing is part of it. And when I say pricing, I don't mean necessarily raising prices. It means that they still have to price competitively um, because again, they are facing uh, enormous pricing pressures. You know, one reason why people shop at Costco is because they realize they can get a, a better deal. You know, if you can buy, you know, a whole bunch of paper towels and store them in your garage or your basement, buy them cheaper at Costco, then you're going to do that. So if Kroger Robertson's raised the price on paper towels to try to, to you know, squeeze more out of consumers, uh, those consumers can squeeze back, right? Because they can always go to Amazon or Costco or somewhere else. Uh, you know, it, it, and, you know, you've got, uh, I think you also have pressure from Trader Joe's. Um, in some places, you also have pressure from um, from ethnic markets. Uh, you know, some are the mom and pa stores that most people think when they think of ethnic markets. But there's some that are really, uh, really growing. You've got H Mart, uh, which is a uh, Korean uh, out here in the in Portland. We have a, a one called a Wajimaya, which is a uh, Japanese, but also sells Asian food. You know, these are. You walk in those, those are huge stores. Uh, and so you have that pressure too. And what's interesting is if you go to a place uh, online to something like Instacart and you look for your shopping options, you'll see that your options you have include not just, you know, the the Kroger, the Safeway, the Albertsons, but they also include, they could include Costco. They could include Whole Foods, uh, some of the ethnic stores. Uh, uh, in my area, uh, U.S. Foods has their own retail operation. I can buy food from U.S. Foods on Instacart. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities for competition. And I think it's not so easy that you get to say, ah, we've merged. We're going to go raise prices. Uh, on the on the employment side, you know, you've got that uh, both Kroger and Albertsons uh, are unionized by the UCFW. And so uh, th that that union power um, is going to be any sort of countervailing force against any attempt to try to squeeze, um, try to squeeze employees. Um, and and uh, my understanding is that CNS uh, has made a commitment to um you know, to stay unionized. And these are all agreements that can be put in if there is some sort of settlement where the FTC says, look, if you do the spinoff and do this stuff, they could put a lot of strings on that settlement agreement. And 
you know, you know, making a commitment that CNS stays unionized could be one of those commitments. Eric Fruits, he's a co-author of Food Retail Competition, Antitrust Law, and the Kroger-Albertsons merger. Thank you very much, Eric, for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. 